All right, if you join me in John chapter 13, please. I want to speak to you for the next few weeks in this series, Close to Jesus. Close to Jesus. So please find John in chapter number 13. Have you ever experienced a moment, and at the time, you did not realize its significance? You know what I'm talking about? A moment where, in hindsight, you look back and you said, if I had realized, if I had realized just how significant that moment was, boy, I would have leaned in a little bit more. I would have listened a little bit more carefully. Maybe it's the last conversation you had with a loved one. And it might have been a special time and you thought, oh, if I'd only known, I would have spent a little more time of course, we're human beings, right? We, we can guilt trip ourselves over those and wish we did, but we're humans. We're, we're frail. We're, we don't know. We're not omniscient. This sequence of conversations in John 13 through 16 is one of those moments for the disciples. If you know the story of the, the final days of Christ before the cross, you know that all of these chapters encompass just a few hours. You see, you can read, now, you can read in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are commonly referred to as the Synoptic Gospels. You can read in those three accounts all of the events and the preparation and how Jesus said to the disciples, the Passover is coming. That was the perhaps one of the highest and holy days after the Day of Atonement, probably. The Passover was the biggest celebration in, on the Hebrew calendar. And this would be the third time that Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And they, to their knowledge, there would be many more Passovers. They didn't realize that this would be the last Passover supper. And so Jesus said, I want you to go and enter into a house and ask the man for the, the, the place where we can have the Passover. And so they go to the place, and the man sends them up to what is referred to as the upper room. And in that upper room, in this house in Jerusalem, just the night before the cross, Jesus gathers his disciples close. Now, John doesn't record the supper itself, other than just in a passing note. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they share the details of the supper. We'll celebrate that supper next Sunday night. We'll, I celebrate, I, we celebrate the resurrection, we memorialize, we remember the supper. And so, while they're there... John, it's interesting that of all of the testimonies of that Last Supper, John is the one who focuses not primarily on the events, but on the things Jesus said. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit gave us these words of Scripture, right? This wasn't John just dreaming it up one day. You know what? I think I'll write about the story, but, but God moved in his heart. But at the same time, we know that how God gave us the Scriptures 
was by using people's experiences and their personalities. And what's interesting to note is that, and maybe you know this, but where was the Apostle John located throughout this supper? Does anyone know? He was leaning on Jesus. Now, obviously, we have the picture that's the most, that's, that's basically a, uh, a reworking of the famous uh, painting, The Last Supper. And just for, just for image sake, that, that, that picture that was, that's been down through history, it, it causes us to remember that event, although we know the way that it's set up is not particularly historically accurate. Because they would not have been sitting at chairs at a tall table. Rather, they'd be reclined on couches with the table spread on the floor. And as they reclined there, it's the Apostle John who is, as we believe, the youngest of all the apostles. His older brother James, and, and then he, John, one of the youngest of the apostles. And we find out later on that John had a nickname. And that nickname was the Apostle who Jesus, do you know? Loved. The Apostle who Jesus loved, or the disciple who Jesus loved. He was known as that. It was common knowledge that John was in some way a bit of a favorite. Not in a, not in a unhealthy favoritism kind of way, but for some reason, in their, in their human relationship, Jesus and young John were very, very close. And it's interesting that John, more than any of the other apostles, writes about the love of God. He writes about it in John. He writes about it in 1 John. So the apostle John gives us a little bit different perspective, and he focuses on the words of Jesus. And we have those. And what I want you to think about is this. If, if you knew that it were the last opportunity you had to spend time with someone you loved, you would lean into that moment. And Jesus is bringing his disciples close to him. And he's going to share some things close to his heart. And so what has been referred to as this passage, these passages have been referred to as the upper room discourse. I want you to see verse number 1, John 13, and verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Now, obviously, Jesus is all-knowing. But we're coming to the point now where it's time. All throughout the life of Christ, different things have happened. At one point, he said to his mother, my hour has not yet come. There were multiple times where the religious authorities or townspeople, even in Nazareth, his hometown, the townspeople wanted to kill him, and he just very easily walked away. Why? Because he said his hour was not yet come. And when we speak of the hour or the time, we're not speaking of 60 minutes. We're speaking about, figuratively, a period of time, and that would be the hour in which Jesus would give his life. His blood would be shed he would cry, it is finished, and he would make the payment for our sins. And Jesus is now looking toward that. It says here in verse number one, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. I want you to notice 
this next statement. Having, say it with me, having loved. Having what? Having loved who? His own. His own. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. First of all, point number one this morning, if you'd like to turn over your notes, I just very simply put, I want us to see in this passage the love of Jesus. You couldn't miss it in verse number one. If you grew up in church, if you grew up in church, or you've spent any amount of time around the Bible and God's people, you can get callous to the statement, God loves you, or Jesus loves you. I learned the songs ever since I was a little child. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. But he sa it says here, he loved them to the end. To the very end. And it was an ugly end. Not just an ugly end for Jesus on the cross, but an ugly end for the disciples. As you, as you spend time around the crucifixion story, you know what all of the disciples did in Jesus' in Jesus most vulnerable moment. Each and every one of them deserted him. The brave and bold Peter, who said, I will never deny you. Three times he denied and he cursed the Lord. Yet it says here that he loved them unto the end. I want you to understand this morning that Jesus has a special love for his children. You'll find that in the scriptures. You see, it says here specifically, having loved, does it say having loved the world? It doesn't say that. It says, having loved who? His own. Having loved his own. Now, I, I, I want you to understand that there is a love that Jesus has for the whole world. In fact, John recorded it in John 3 and verse 16. And you could probably quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There is a love that God has for each and every person that is his creation. In fact, I'll give you another reference, and that's Luke chapter 13 and verse number 34. Luke 13, verse 34, Jesus looks over Jerusalem, who the people of Jerusalem would be the ones to crucify him. But he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings? But then the last statement, what does it say? And ye what? Would not. You see, he looks at the unbelie unbelieving Israel and he says, I had a desire to just give you my, my uh, complete affection, my complete love. I would have come and I would have gathered you to myself and you would have known real fatherly love. You would have known real love that can't be described or experienced in any human way. But the problem is the people had rejected. That is the same condition in the world today. 
the, the message of, of love and the gospel goes into this community and ripples out into the whole world. And God has a message for the world that says, I would gather to you, to you to myself. I would show you what real love is. But so many say no. They say no. And so they never experience the fullness of God's love. But Christian, never forget, as Jesus was showing his disciples once they accepted his word, once they believed that he was the Savior, they entered into a relationship that was perfect, complete love. Jesus has a special love for those who are his own. Jesus said, it's recorded in John chapter 10, that my Father gave them to me, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. We belong safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. God has a special love, and Jesus is going to display that in this passage. But he does it in a very unique way. Verse number two. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, I believe that you spent some time looking at uh, Judas and that betrayal uh, in previous weeks, so I'm not going to say a lot about that. Verse number three, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. You all know probably what's about to happen. They eat the supper, they finish, and Jesus stands up, and there's a towel somewhere nearby, and he takes this large towel, and he wraps it around his waist. Now, don't miss the contrast between verse 3 and verse number 4. Go back to verse number 3. Look at verse number 3, and what is being emphasized in the third verse? You look at it. You don't necessarily need to say it out loud, but I want you just to think for a minute. What, if, what is being emphasized in verse number three? Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, he was come from God and went to God. What's being emphasized here is the deity and authority of Jesus Christ. It's recorded all through the Gospel of John. That John would, John would say, I mean, Jesus would say to one of the disciples, the disciple, I think it was Thomas, said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Thomas, have I been with you so little time? He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so in verse number three, this equality with the Father is being emphasized. That Jesus has all power. Jesus has all dominion. He came from God, he, he, and he can go to God. He is God and very God, and man and very man. That is why what happens next is so significant. Because what happens is, the Son of God wraps himself in what? A towel. Now, who, who usually wore the towel? It was the servants. It's the servants who usually wear the towel. Once you see, secondly, this morning, his love displayed. We've seen the love of Jesus, now we see that love displayed. It says that 
he lays aside his garments, he takes a towel and he girds himself, and after that, he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus performs the most humble task. See, it was common, and, and many of you probably know this, but they did not wear covered shoes in this region. They wore open-toed sandals, and the streets were not paved. The streets were dusty and dirty. And so as you would enter into a house, your feet would be especially grimy. Think about your kids when they play barefoot outside in the summer and they come inside, feet black and dirty and kind of gross. That's the common foot in this region of Judea. So the disciples are there, they've eaten the meal. Now apparently there was no servant to wash the feet. If you went into someone's house, if you went into a house of someone with means, there would often be a hired servant, and their job was to take the water, to bend down, and to clean in between the toes and scrub the bottom of the feet and make sure that your feet were clean and dry. But they had just skipped over that because there was no one willing to serve except Jesus. So Jesus takes a, a, a towel and one by one, through the 12 disciples, he begins to wash their feet. You see, what we learn from Christ is that love is displayed in sacrificial service. Love is displayed in sacrificial service. How many of you, I mean, obviously we've all heard the statement, talk is cheap. I can say it. I can say I love you, and I should to those whom I love. I can say I love you, but love is most believable when it is displayed. And Christ gives us a glimpse of his sacrificial love, his service. In fact, he had already told them about this. In Matthew chapter 20, in verses 26 through 28, Jesus had said to his disciples, he described the Gentiles and all their power and their authority and how they like to boss each other around. And in Matthew 20, Jesus said to his disciples, but it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant even as the Son of Man, now he's speaking of himself, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And all of that would lead, lead up to the greatest act of service. Not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This is a love that lays its life down. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man give his life. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It's love that's displayed in washing dirty feet. And it's always astounded me that this is 
just hours before the cross. I mean, just hours before Jesus knows what he's going to experience. He stoops down and washes feet. It teaches us to do the same. If you skip down to verse number 12, we'll, we'll read verses 6 through 11, but I want you to skip down to verse number 12. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to what? Wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. We like to talk in the church about how, oh, you will know that, they'll know that you're my disciples if you have love for each other. How many of you have quoted that passage or you know that passage? Oh, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. But love involves self-sacrifice. Love involves me and you being willing to get down into some of the most unpleasant experiences in people's lives and come along and say, I'd be willing to wash your feet. There are some Christian denominations historically, going, going back a long time actually, that when they observed the Lord's Supper, they observed foot washing. Has anybody ever experienced that before? You've, you've been a part of a group like that? Yeah. I, I, th I believe it's part of the practices of the, of the Plymouth Brethren and other historical uh, Christian churches. Now, most, most uh, Christian denominations do not recognize foot washing as an official ordinance, but, but some do. Whereas we, have, we believe that biblically it's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so some practice foot washing in addition to that. And as they gather for the Lord's Supper, do you know what they do? They wash each other's feet. They'll sit in the room. Now, if I announced that, we'd probably have a little bit less of a crowd next Sunday night. I'll never forget sitting in, in, when I was in Bible college in the church that I worked, worked at as an intern, um, we had a missions conference and a missionary, well-known missionary to African countries had come and he told a story. He told a story about it's, it's common for pastors to go to the mission field and go as, you know, maybe they're going to teach Bible Institute classes or they're going on a short-term missions trip or something like that. And there was one particular pastor who went and he was in the Bible college there and he was working with the people. And his church had supported missionaries over, for, for years, sent so much money. But the story that I heard was one day the, the, the missionary who was heading that up, he walked in and he saw that pastor on his knees, just sobbing, weeping and crying. And there was a row of these young African Bible students. And he's just crying and crying and washing their feet and washing their feet and washing their feet. And afterwards he said, what, what went on there? 
And the man said that God had convicted his heart, that though he supported missions, though he had done all these things, sent money, that in his heart there was prejudice and racism deep inside. And it took that that act of humble love and submission for him to lower himself to realize that that is the love of Christ. That the one who thinks they're the greatest is, is far from the love of God. But it's the one who says, I'm the least of these. And so they would wash. So Jesus washes their feet. and He displays love. You say, well, Pastor Ethan, I, I think I have a servant's heart. Well, could I ask you, how did you react the last time someone treated you like you were a servant? The last time somebody spoke shortly to you, the last time you said, well, don't, who do they think they are? That's not original to me. I've heard that quoted for, for years. You know if you have a servant's heart by how you react when someone treats you like a, serv- like a servant. I'm always reminded of the Apostle Paul who said to the Corinthian church, and they mistreated him badly. They, they spoke against him. They spread rumors against him. They said, we don't have to listen to him. He's not even a real apostle. They just said all these things, and he wrote to them in the Corinthian epistles. He says, listen, I will very gladly, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your sakes. Though the more that I love, the less I am loved. Paul wasn't in the ministry for the accolades. He understood that he was a servant. And so, friends, I am here to be your servant. You are here to be my servant. You are here to be the servants of one another. And servants can't afford to have pompous, self-righteous attitudes. We have to be willing to put on a towel to reach down and to clean someone's feet sometimes. Jesus' love was displayed, and he challenges us for the same. But buried in the, in the middle of this text is a theological truth, a doctrinal truth about the gospel and about salvation. And that's the part I want to focus in on, on this last point. And that we'll find in verses 6 through 11. We've seen the love of Jesus, we've seen his love displayed, and now I want you to see his cleansing love. Verse number six, then cometh he to Simon Peter. How many of you, Peter's like one of your favorite Bible characters? I mean, you just identify with him. Yeah, you're like, you know what? He just, he just, I mean, what you got to appreciate, what you got to appreciate about Peter is he says what's on his mind. You know what he's thinking. He doesn't play political games. If he says it, he thinks it. It gets him in quite a bit of trouble as well. So I can imagine Peter just watching this. And he's just having this struggle inside. And he's like, I don't know who it was. Maybe let's just assume Jesus starts with John and then his brother James. And Peter's like, what are you guys doing? Do you understand Jesus is our master? You're letting him wash, wash your feet? What are you, and I I just imagine what he's thinking, like, this cannot be. And so finally, it's his turn in line. And Peter, I imagine, has, he knows what he's going to say. 
And Jesus comes to him, and Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And he thinks he's just, boy. This is a, this is a display almost of false humility. Right? Peter's, Peter's got a lot of big things to say this night. You're going to wash my feet? Later on, they'll all deny you, but I'll never deny you. All these statements that Peter makes. And he has to learn humility. He has to learn about love. Jesus answered and says to him in verse number 7, if you allow me to paraphrase, Peter, you don't understand what's going on right now. You don't understand. In a little while, you'll understand. Do you see the patience of Jesus? Aren't you thankful for that? Listen, I just... Some of you knew me when I was young. You're like, well, you, you kind of are young. Well, I'm like, oh, I'm like late young now. I was young, young before. And some of you knew me. Some of you knew me back then. And I was kind of like Peter. I thought I knew everything, and I had a lot of opinions about everything in the world. I still have all those opinions. I just try to keep them to myself more often. Maybe that's all. But sometimes it takes some humbling from God over the course of life. How many of you were like that when you were young? I mean, you just, you knew it. You had it. You, you had it figured out. You, you knew better. And Jesus is patient, though. He still used Peter. Peter still was, had performed miracles. Peter still got to preach. Peter still got to do all these things. God, God isn't looking for us to be perfect. He, he loved him to the end. He was patient with him. He says, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing now but you will know. And now Peter's like, oh, what? I just, I blew it. So now he recovers and he overcompensates in verse number eight. And in verse number eight, he says, okay then. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm one ahead. I'm one ahead. So in verse number eight, he says, well, go, go ahead back to verse number eight. Peter says, well, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, oh, really? Well, then you can't have any part in me. Now Peter's like, oh, I've messed up. What, what am I thinking? And so now, he overcompensates in verse 9. He says, well, Lord, then, don't just wash my feet, but my hands in my head. Just, just, he's an emotional guy, right? He's like, he's, he's like I, I didn't, instead of being like, Lord, what do you mean? <laughs> Please explain. Peter says, well, wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, just wash it all. And Jesus, in his kindness and his patience, he looks at Peter, and he says to Peter, and this is, this is just an awesome passage, verse number 10, Jesus says to him, he that is washed only needs to wash his feet. Do you understand what he means by that? He says, if you just, physically speaking, Peter, are you clean? You know, he does the check, you know, and yeah, I'm pretty clean, pretty clean. Well, it's, you're clean, so it's really only what? It's just your feet. It's just your feet that need to be washed. He's clean every way, and you are clean, and now that word ye, it's actually an interesting, an interesting um, clue that the King James Version translators give us. When you see the word 
thee or thou in the Bible, it's the Greek singular. You know he's speaking to one person. When you see the word ye or you, it's the Greek plural. We don't have those distinctions in English, so they, they built it into the translation. So what's interesting is he's speaking to Peter, but then who does he now address? All of the disciples. He's dealing with Peter, and he says, Peter, you, you're clean. I only need to wash your feet. You're clean. And he looks, and he says to the whole group, and ye, you all, are clean, but not all. What does he mean by not all? Yeah, you look at verse 11. Not Judas. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, ye are not all clean. See, if you go back now and just look at verse number 10, I want you to think about this. He that is washed needeth not to save, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. What Jesus is teaching us here is, and it's, this is, obviously this isn't the only place it would be, it wouldn't be good to extrapolate a whole doctrine from this verse, but when we understand this in the context of the other teaching of the Scripture, we understand what Jesus is saying. He's looking at his disciples, and he's saying to them, you have believed on me. You belong to me. And because they belong to Jesus, they were what? Say it. Because they belong to Jesus, they were and can I share with you, friends, because you belong to Jesus, if you've received him as your Savior, you are clean. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are a child of the King. No matter what the world says about you, no matter how much you messed up, no matter if you curse like Peter, no matter if you stumble and fall like, like sometimes Christians do, the fact is this. If you belong to Jesus, you are clean. Oh, it's so good. The, the, the muck and the mire and the grubbiness of the world can never stick to you. In fact, we'll see it when we get to chapter 14, or I'm sorry, chapter 15, and I'll, I'll give you the reference now, John 15 and verse 3. He says to his disciples, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Jesus says, you've received my word. You've believed on it. Peter would say in 1 Peter, being born again by incorruptible seed, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. These are the words of truth. These are the words of forgiveness. This is the message of the gospel that makes us clean, not through our own efforts, but through Christ. But Jesus says this, sometimes... People who are clean need to wash their what? Come on now. It's not too deep, right? Sometimes people who are clean need to wash their feet. This is going to be explained a little bit more in 1 John. Years later, John is going to write about this in 1 John. But the picture is this. We have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But where do we walk each and every day? We walk the dirty, grimy streets of a sin-infected world. We walk in a world, and 
And sometimes we're, we're walking close to the Lord and we stay clean and we stay righteous, but sometimes we pick up some of the filth from the world. Do we not? And it's at that moment we need to be grateful that Jesus doesn't give up on us. Jesus never says, Jesus never says, you know what? I cleaned you up when, when you believed on me. I washed you clean. And now you go back out and you get dirty again? You get those feet dirty? Forget it. I'm not going to do it again. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, I want you to be close to me. So I'll reach down and I'll clean your feet. The God, and you say, well, well and, and people have misunderstood this, and they'll say, well, well, does that mean if I receive Jesus, then I can just live however I want because he's just going to clean me back up again anyway? You missed the point. If you knew, if you understood that the God of the universe who died on the cross to pay for all of our sin, to give us perfect and eternal cleansing, Yet these feet sometimes still take us back to the very sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. These hands still sometimes participate. We are carried back sometimes into the ways of the world. And it's the cross of Jesus, the love of Jesus. It's the, it's the, it's the, the servant love of Jesus that he would still stoop down and wash our feet. It's explained this way in 1 John 1, 6 through 9. And some of you know this passage. A lot of times people think this is about salvation, but it's really not. It's about closeness. It's about staying close to the Lord. John, 1 John 1, 6-9, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, oh, verse number 9, if we, if we, could you say it with me? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Leave that verse up, please that he cleanses us. The whole book of 1 John is about staying in close fellowship with Jesus. It's about the fact that Jesus says to his disciples, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand down the road. You're going to understand in the future. You've been cleansed, but Peter, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You're going to falter. You're going to, you're going to shame my name. But, but when that happens, you come back. Confess your sins, and I promise that I will cleanse you again from all unrighteousness. Now the head and the hands and the body don't need cleansing because we're saved, but the feet need it. The feet need to be washed. And as we come back into closeness with Jesus, but do you know what happens sometimes in Christian lives? Christians sometimes, now listen real carefully, please, Wander back into the world. Now, wandering into the world doesn't necessarily mean going back to partying or drinking or sexual promiscuousness. It could mean those things, right? Drunkenness, addictions. It could mean that. 
But can I also share with you, sometimes walking back into the world is in the world's way of thinking. Pride, self-righteousness, materialism. In whichever case, because sometimes our feet getting dirty looks really worldly, but then sometimes it looks really religious. Either way, it's far from God. It's at those moments, though, what happens sometimes is this. Sometimes people look down. Sometimes Christians have become calloused, and they're unaware how dirty their feet are. They just, they just got used to it. And they walk around like everything's fine, but, but they don't have the happiness. They don't have the joy. They're not in close fellowship with the Lord. They're saved. They're clean all, all, all where else, but their feet are dirty. They don't even realize it. But sometimes the devil does this in our lives. We go back into the world, our feet get kind of dirty, and we just get ashamed. You ever been there? And I know Christians that today, they, would not, they haven't been in church in years. They're not serving God. If you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? They would say, yes, with all my heart, I still believe in Jesus. But you know what's happened? They've allowed their failures to keep them from coming back into close fellowship with God. Why do you think we have this promise? If we what? If we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. He wants to. He wants to restore us. Now, Christians, we also need to be agents of that restoration, don't we? We need to be willing to not be like, oh, they call themselves a Christian? Boy, they've got stinky feet. I'm not sure about that. If Jesus can be faithful and just to forgive, I think we can too. Cleanse from all unrighteousness. So the message here is this, there is hope, but why do people not return? Why do not, and listen, we need this every day. We need to come to Christ each and every day. We need to have an attitude that says, Lord, I'm just trusting you. Need your forgiveness fresh and anew. But there's an if here. If we what? Starts the verse out, if we what? Confess. Now some of you have a real confusing idea of confession from your childhood. You grew up maybe in a church experience where confessing meant going into a little box and, you know, there's a wall in between and, you know, forgive me, Father, I have sinned. That, that's, that's not biblical confession. In fact, Bible confession couldn't be further from, it, from that. Confession is between you and God. And the word literally means this. The word confess, it means to say. It's, it's two Greek words. Uh, hama, which is same, and lego, which is to say. Hama, I can't, I can't say it. It's been a long time. That was when I was young, young. Okay. It's basically the same word. That's what it means. The same word. To say the same word. So when you come into confession, you are coming into agreement. You following me? Coming into agreement. So when I confess my sins, I come to God and I say the same thing about my sins that he says. We've got all kinds of modern words to talk about our failures and our sinfulness. Even that word failure or false, it's a little bit softer, don't you think? 
than sin. And God says, if we are going to receive this, Jesus says, I will stoop down and I will wash those feet, but you have to agree with me about what's going on in your life. You have to be willing to confess and say, not like, well, I, I should have made better choices. Or, you know, because my mother was this way, I, 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 I lash out sometimes. Or my family has kind of always been this way. I know I need to improve it, but are any of those statements confession? Confession is the heart of David when he says to God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Jesus, this little walk back into the world, this dirtying of my feet, I walked back into the sins that nailed you to the cross. Boy, that's a different perspective, isn't it? That is confession. So it's a humbling experience, but it's a liberating experience. It's a cleansing experience where God says, look at that. And Jesus, Jesus reaches down with the towel and he washes us sparkling clean again. And he says, there you are, fresh and new. Now go serve my sheep, serve my children. That's the Christian life where we are in a posture of repentance and faith. Lord Jesus, you've cleansed me, but I come to you again today for a fresh cleansing. My hands, my head, they're good, but my feet need to be washed. So there's two possibilities this morning. You could be here, and unlike Peter and the disciples, you're not completely clean. You're not, your hands, your head, your feet spiritually have never been cleansed. You say, well, I was baptized. Aren't you going to baptize today? Baptism water is a picture of cleansing, but that water cannot cleanse anyone's sins. You say, well, I took communion, or I've been religious, or I go to church all the time, I read my Bible. None of those things can cleanse us. The, the perfect cleansing comes only through faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. So if there has never been a time in your life where you have, you have admitted to God that you are a dirty sinner, that you have broken his laws, but you believe that he's the Savior, and you put your full faith and trust in him, if you've never done that, you need to be cleansed completely. You need to step under the flow of Jesus' forgiveness. The blood of Jesus was shed to wash our sins away. You need to receive Christ today. Don't wait. Because remember, when Jesus said to that whole group of disciples, you are clean. Oh, but not what? But not everyone. It's possible that I could look out at this church right now. And every, uh, to my knowledge, probably every person in here has made a statement of faith in Christ. But only you and the Lord Jesus Christ know the truth and the sincerity of your relationship with him. It's possible there's a Judas in here. And I don't want to just assume, oh, you're all clean, everything's good. You're only clean if you've been cleansed by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're not sure, put your faith in Christ today. Don't delay. Do it right now. The second possibility is that you say, no, I'm, I'm clean. I know I am. But I've gotten my feet dirty in the world. Let's take the end of this service and let's take a fresh opportunity 
for our feet to be washed by the mercy and grace and love of Jesus. Let's come to our time of prayer. Please bow your heads and close your eyes with me. We'll just be still for for a minute or two. Has there been a time where you've received Christ as your Savior? Whether you're in this room this morning or whether you're watching, have you been cleansed by the blood of Jesus? If there's never been that time, I want to encourage you right now to pray something like this. If you're ready, if your heart is ready to put your faith in Christ, I'd like to ask you to pray something like this. Say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've broken your law, but I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead, and I believe that you can save me. I believe that you can forgive all my sins and make me clean. So I ask you to do that. I put my trust in you, Jesus. Would you pray something like that from a pure heart to the Lord? Yes, I receive Jesus as my Savior. But now, Christian, don't raise your hand this morning, but I'm going to ask you this question, and I hope you'll seriously think about it. How many of you came in this morning with some grubby feet, if you'll pardon the expression? How many came in this morning? Yes, you're, overall you're clean, but there's some areas of your life where you need the cleansing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hands have gone up. I said not to raise your hand, but that's okay. The more hands are going up. God's, that's, that's God at work. God speak into your heart. So we're going to have our time of prayer. And again, confession is between you and God. So as the music softly plays, you can confess your sin. But listen now, as you confess, what do you need to do? You need to say the same thing as God about your sin. You need to make that confession right now. So in this quiet moment, let's spend this time with the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the relationship that you want to have with us through Jesus Christ. God, we pray that if someone in here doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you. God, we pray for those who, Lord, you've spoken to this morning, who, Lord, have sinned to confess. We pray that they would take this time, that they would get their hearts right with you, that they would come and agree before you about their sin, that they would seek your forgiveness, and that they would have hearts of repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.